You are listening to a message from Parkway Church in Corona. We thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning here at 10 a.m. If you'd like more information, click on our visit tab on our website. Next week, I invite you back next week. The next three Sundays, we're going to talk about uh, our tongue, our mouth. Next Sunday, we've entitled it The Ten Deadliest Sins of the Tongue. Okay? And it's not as boring as it sounds. As soon as, as soon as the numbers get up over three, I know people go, oh, seriously. But the ten deadly sins of the tongue, the next week we're going to talk about taming the untainable. And we're going to be moving into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a, something very dear to my heart. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This morning, the two battlegrounds. Now, uh, in, in, at the end of the service, our ushers have a handout, a devotional handout, a take-home uh, based on this. If you would like it, you can receive that on the way out this morning, okay? And uh, I think it's important that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, sometimes we've got to do more than just hear it. We've got to go home and kind of journal and, and work through it. The two battlegrounds, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Are you with me? <laughs> Five people are with me. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead anyways. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow uh, the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You know, for many years of my life, that verse seemed like a really great idea and a really great concept. I knew it was in God's word, but it seemed kind of idealistic to me. I don't know if you can relate to that. It's one of those verses that often seems great in theory, but in practical terms, it's nice, but maybe it's not many people's experience. Maybe you would say, if I'm being honest, I'm very easily defeated, I'm easily thrown. Victory for me is a fleeting and a fragile thing. You know what? For some believers, it's not even the, the big things that can throw us. Sometimes it's things as simple as losing our keys. Sometimes it's things as simple as locking ourselves out. And it's, it's not even the frustration in the moment. It's the fact that we can literally lose our victory in the moment but remain frustrated. That frustration will cling to us the rest of the day, and something like that will sour our day. Now, uh, by a show of hands, do you know someone like that? All right. By a show of hands, is that someone you? Okay, all right. I'm not. So, and, and, and the reality is, is that some testify that our experience, I know I've said to the Lord before, man, I'm not going from glory to glory. I'm going from sorry to sorry, from repentance to frustration to repentance to frustration. And one of the lies that we can believe, please listen to me, one of the lies that we can believe is that maybe people who seem to live victoriously and in abundant life with peace, joy, and purpose that circumstances can't steal away, we say one of two things. Well, maybe it's just in their DNA. Maybe God just infused their blood when they were born with happy juice or something. And, and, and another thing we can say is, well, maybe they haven't faced in life what I've faced. So it's easy for them to say, I'm thankful today that Jesus said we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And I'm thankful we can turn to God's word this morning. We can hear truth. And that truth will unmask a lie as it's unveiled for us. But that will lead us to victory. Amen. So the two battlegrounds. There's the first battle, the battle within. And the second battle, the battle without. There's the internal battle zone and the external battle zone. 
And here's the reality. The, the inner battle has to do with regeneration. And the outer battle is won through resisting temptation and our responses to circumstances. Uh, we started off with that verse that talks about no temptation has seized you. Do you realize it's an outside temptation that's trying to seize you, trying to grab a hold of you, right? And uh, we led with that, but the reality is that's the external battlefield. And I'm just going to tell you honestly this morning, the external battlefield is the easy one to win when the internal battle has been laid to rest. Most of us fail because we're fighting two battles simultaneously all the time. And the external battle is, is something that we are called to stand up and resist. The internal battle is only won through regeneration. The inner battle is priority. If we don't win the inner battle, then we find external battles easily defeat us because we have no or very little spiritual resources to stand. The outer battles attack us, they come against us, but the inner battle is a question of, here it is, who do we submit to? Who do we submit to? Those battles are won as we yield to the Holy Spirit. So here's our key verse this morning, Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that this body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's very important. Say that with me. To sin. No, say, say it with me. To sin. Okay? And that's important, and we're going to get to that in a minute. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He, Jesus Christ, died to sin. This is what's interesting. This particular verse doesn't say he died for sin. We easily understand the concept that Jesus Christ died for sin because he died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died for the sins of the world. But this, this verse, and how many of you know the Holy Spirit didn't go, oops, I meant to say for, but I said to, right? How many of you know the Holy Spirit is very specific, okay? He died to sin. And so... Uh, you can't die. How is that possible? Because you can't die for something that isn't a part of you. If I say I'm going to die to something, it's because it's already a part of me and I need to let that go. So how does Jesus die to something that was never a part of him? Because he was sinless. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins. There's that word again. He bore our sin so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. So Christ was made to be what we were, so we could become what he was. Okay? So when the Bible tells us that we're new creations, the old has gone, the new has come, that isn't figurative. That's actual. Jesus Christ took our sin and died to sin. And because Jesus died to sin, because it's dead to him, it's no longer a part of him, sin is dead to us. We are new creations. We've passed from death to life. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But we have new life, therefore sin can no longer be part of us. If sin was still a part of us, we couldn't receive eternal life. Because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus died to sin, therefore we've died to sin. 
Our sin in 2 Corinthians and 1 Peter 2 tells us that God literally took our sin, placed it on Jesus, it was nailed to the cross, and then Jesus died to sin. So for the believer, where's our sin? It's nailed to the cross. The believer's sin is nailed to the cross. The power of sin, the guilt and condemnation of sin in me was taken from me and nailed to the cross where Jesus died to it on my behalf. So I'm reborn. Sin is no longer part of me. My spiritual DNA is being recreated. My old self is dead. It's like Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The power of sin that once had me in its grip is now a prisoner of the cross. Now, you're not excited enough, so let me not make it personal. The power of sin that was in you is no longer part of you because it's been nailed to the cross. Mm-hmm. That is good. Again, I'm preaching way better than you're responding, but I'm going to keep going anyways. Romans 6.11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We lose our inner battle because the truth of we think, we think the truth of God's word doesn't apply to us. Think about that. It's because we think contrary to the truth, therefore our perception becomes a reality. The literal translation of Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he hath thought in his soul, so a person is. If I am defeated in my soul, if I'm defeated in my thinking, if I believe that sin is still a part of me and there's nothing I can do about it, it's part of my DNA, then guess what's going to happen? It is going to be uh, part of me. If I believe sin is still a part of us, that I was born that way, then we lose the inner battle. That's why Jesus spoke of the necessity of being born again in John chapter 3. Because I was born certain ways, because I was born into sin, because I was born with a propensity to sin, therefore I need to be born again. And when I am born again through faith in Jesus, again, read John chapter 3, sin is no longer part of me. So where does sin come from? Where does temptation come from? Uh, Sin is a voice. And I'm not trying to be glib this morning, but sin is a voice that's literally nailed to a cross, captive to a cross. By the way, it's okay to say that because how many of you know Jesus is no longer on the cross? He rose. But my sins, the Bible said, were nailed to the cross in Jesus. And so sin from a place of defeat, a place of utterly being taken from me and decimated by the price of Jesus, shouts and screams at me, trying to dominate me, trying to tell me it's still a part of my life. It's screaming at us from its place of captivity, trying to convince us it's still part of our spiritual DNA. But it's impossible because Paul stated that we are crucified with Christ. Christ died to sin. And because I'm in Christ, sin died to me and I now live for God. So we say self, uh, self, uh, what's the word, defeating things that only perpetuate a lie. Oh, it's just me, flawed, sinful, oh. I've always been like that. How can I possibly change? I've been involved with this for 47 years now or 86 or 112 or however old you are. And we say it's just the way I've always been because we don't understand that when we came to Jesus, we were born again and our sin was placed on him. He died to sin. Whose sin? Not his. My sin. So when I'm reborn, I'm completely made new. 
It's no longer a part. We have got to understand. I, now I'm getting off. I'm going off the rails. We've dummied down salvation. If you're here this morning and you want to receive Jesus, just slip your hand up. I'll say a 30-second prayer, and I want you to know that you're saved now and on your way to heaven. Woo-hoo! And, and, and re- eh. friends, I've said it before. I would rather a person take six weeks to study and find out what this salvation thing is all about than make an informed decision and realize that when I come to Jesus, it's not just adding an insurance policy to my life so I can get on with my life and not worry about what happens when I die. How many of you would buy insurance that quickly? How many of you would sit across from an insurance broker and he says, just sign right here, slip your hand up, get on with your life, and don't worry about it. Everything will be taken care of. We have dummied down salvation to the place where people, people who even sincerely receive salvation don't understand what salvation is. Salvation is you passing from death to life. We were born as eternal beings. We have a spirit in us that will live forever. It will either live forever away from God in a lost eternity away from God or it will live with God. But my spirit was born into sin and the wages of sin is what? Death. Eternal death. But with the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And when I come to Jesus, yeah. When I, come, when I come to Jesus, I become a new creation. He rebirths in me that spirit, but sin is no longer a part of me. We somehow think that when we, when we come to Jesus, you know, uh, he, he, he does something. He gives us this policy, but life just goes on the way it is, and we got all the same hang-ups, all the same things, and, all the, and we spend 40 years fighting these internal battles that, friends, Jesus fought when he died on the cross. Does this make sense this morning? By the way, there's no condemnation in what I'm saying. I'm waking up to this reality. My goodness, salvation is a lot more than we realize it is. Uh, So, for the believer, our sin is nailed to the cross. And we say self-defeating things. A lot of people are saved but not free. Come on. We are dead to sin but alive in Christ. That's the truth. So, Romans 6.12 goes on to say, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Let's break that out today. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Whose evil desires are they when we submit to sin? They're not yours. Your desires have been recreated and rebirthed and reborn by the Holy Spirit. He has put new desires in you. Desires for godliness. Desires for the righteousness of Jesus. Desires to, believe it or not, love your neighbor as yourself and to bless those who curse you. A desire for love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and kindness and self-control. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you and that's the fruit of the Spirit. And those are your natural desires now right within the very core of who you are. Does that make sense? So where does sin come from? The sin comes from us when it tries to entice us with its evil desires. Am I, am I just speaking what's in the word? It's evil desires. Sin is, trying to, sin is over here captive to the cross, still trying to get you and I to obey in our mortal bodies its desires. For us to say, I can remember saying one time, oh, if I was in that situation, I know that I would fall. I said that as a pastor. And someone looked at me and said, that is the most unbiblical thing I've ever heard coming out of your mouth. 
And I came to realize, this was years ago, by the way, I came to realize that was a very unbiblical thing. Because God's word says, no temptation to seize me except that which is common to people. And God is faithful. He will give me a way out. He will give me the power to obey him instead of the evil desires. The evil desires are coming from somewhere outside of yourself. That word obey means to comply with the command, direction, or request. To submit to the authority of. So it's just not true we don't have a choice. That sin somehow overpowers us. Sin has no power over us except that which we comply and submit to. And through habit and through constantly yielding to the voice of sin, strongholds are built and strongholds try to dictate. But I'm going to tell you something. Strongholds still flee at the name of Jesus. Strongholds are nailed to the cross. Amen? So when we were born again, our spirit was completely recreated. We're eternal beings. So even though sin brought death, death happens in the body. Our spirits are created eternally, and when we're born again, our spirits pass from eternal death and separation to eternal life. Therefore, we are sinless. Right now, we are sinless in our spirits. There is a part of you that knows no sin. It's as holy as Jesus was. Your spirit, because why? Because the Bible says he died to sin to live for God. Therefore, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. I am the righteousness of Christ right now. There is a part of me that is completely sinless before God. Amen? Our souls, which is our memories, our history, our emotions, our minds, and our wills, our personality, our, our likes, our dislikes, our conscience, our souls... Right now, what makes you and me, our souls are being regenerated. It's still in process. That's why we're completely righteous on the one hand and in the process of becoming righteous in the other. So my soul, my personality, my emotions, they are being regenerated in my body, uh, which is impacted primarily through our five senses. I hate to tell you the bad news, but your soul will be regenerated. Uh, your soul will match your spirit, and your soul and spirit will go to heaven and be instantly regenerated. But guess what? Our body will never become totally regenerated. Well, it will, but you have to die for that to happen. Seriously, your body has to, the only way for, for sin to be completely destroyed in this body is for it to die. And then Jesus is going to resurrect us and give us a, a brand new body created by him, but sinless. And now body, soul, and spirit will spend all of eternity with him completely regenerated, completely like he is. Amen? That's good news. That is good news. And so here's where temptations come through. They come through the lust of the flesh, which is your body, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. All three of those things impact either your soul, your ego, your emotions, your will, your mind, or the five senses on your flesh that always gravitates towards feed me, take care of me, protect me, me first, right? We're never meant to live from the inside out. We're meant to live from, I mean, the outside in. We're meant to live from the inside out. So regeneration takes place when our bodies and souls obey and submit to our spirits. And we have to resist listening to the voice of sin that is trying to get us to obey its evil desires. And as we resist the voice of sin and temptation, that voice gets quieter. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And if we give in to sin, it gets louder and seeks to dominate us. So the lie that we're powerless against sin and that I cannot change must be unmasked. Sin has no power over us except what we give it. 
We are new creations with new desires. So if we yield to sin through obedience to it, through practice and habit, it will have its way with us, but it's still trespassing. It's trespassing because it's not your natural state of being. It's, it's, it's in a really dangerous place when Christians feel like their natural state of being is in things of the world and not in the presence of God. But that's not natural. Because the, the spirit deep down within you, how many of you know that that voice that screams from its place of captivity on the cross, that voice that wants us to sin, that voice that wants us to, to be unforgiving, to, to all of the things that it's trying, it, it, it's so loud and so predominant. And there's that still, quiet, calm voice that's constantly speaking and never stops, but it's always there. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit. So, Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. By the way, the word for proper is actually reasonable. And that word reasonable literally means if you really think it through, if you use your, your uh, ability to reason and think things through logically, offering your bodies in view of God's mercy, it's the only thing. It's the only thing that, that makes sense. That's good. That's better than you realize, but that's good. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Hebrews 12, 1, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We are to not conform to the pattern of this world. And what we've been given is the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the word of God to resist temptation. And it's a twofold weapon. What, what the scriptures do as we engage them with the Holy Spirit is the first thing it does is renew our minds. How many of you know that stinking thinking, this will straighten us out pretty quick, right? If you ever look around the world and say, what's going on and what's your will and all of it, God? God's spoken, Right? Uh, the second thing it does is, first thing is it renews our mind. The second thing it does is it can, it can be used offensively. Remember when Jesus was being tempted, where was the temptation coming from? Outside of himself. And the temptation for him, for example, to eat food was one of his five senses. The temptation for him to uh, uh, bow down and worship Satan so that people would in turn bow down and worship him was a temptation for his ego. In his soul. Uh, and how did Jesus resist all of those things? Through the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. So the word of God renews our minds, gets us thinking right, gets us living and thinking by the truth, resisting the conformity the world wants to put us in, but then it rises up in us by the Holy Spirit uh, to resist that temptation that comes to us. That's why the inner battle has to be settled first, because the outer battles are easily won when the inner battle is settled. And part of the inner battle, friends, is finding wholeness where God promises wholeness and refusing to remain in brokenness as a crutch. It's part, it's part of it. This isn't, sin isn't always the things we do. Sin is not allowing God to do what he came to do, and that's make us whole people. So my flesh will follow what I choose to subject it to. When we get to the place where we make no room for the flesh because we realize no good thing has ever come from the flesh, then the inner battle will be settled so that the external battles and attacks come uh, on. We can face them in the strength of the Lord. Okay, just five more minutes and we're going to move on to communion. The outer battle zone. 
when we're losing the inner battle zone and remain defeated there and obedient to sin, then we lose the outer battles as well, and we end up becoming bitter and angry and jealous and unloving, hurt and wounded, negative and defeated, judgmental and unforgiving. And we often think, and people often think, it's because of what's happening to us externally, but out of the abundance of what's inside a person, the mouth speaks and we respond. And so any external joy, peace and fulfillment and contentment and trust and faith that comes when those outer battles come, if we're already losing that inward battle, when that outward battle comes, poof, it's gone. And we can spend our whole lives trying to order our external life so that the boat isn't rocked and we can have some sense of peace and joy and contentment and fulfillment in our lives. But how many of you know life doesn't really care how much we try to order it? It does what it wants to. Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles. There's a promise you can hang on your fridge and quote every day. In this world you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the problem isn't always our problem. Because others face the same external battles and continue in peace and in confidence and joy and faith and abundant life. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he's so positive sometimes, I just want to kick him in the shin so something negative will happen. You ever met those kind of people? And we were talking one time, not about problems, but it was actually Bob when we were doing the expansion and we had some tough decisions to make. And, and for me, when you start doing number crunching and making decisions, I get this headache that just won't go away for like months on end. And uh, I was talking to this pastor and we were just talking about some of the, uh, again, they weren't problems. They were just things that we had to work through. That's what it was, work through. And we were just talking because he had recently been in a church expansion as well. And he looked at me and he says, but you know what I love about that process? I said, what? He goes, I love the fact that obstacles aren't obstacles, but they're opportunities. And I just wanted to go right in the middle of district conference. Pow! How's that an opportunity, mister? (laughs) And the the crazy thing is he's not making it up. This guy faces incredible pressure and incredible trials. And he says, man, I learned so much through that opportunity. Man, praise God that I had to, I mean, I wouldn't want to go through it again. But thank God if I have to, I'm better equipped. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to go over to the pastors that are moaning and griping over here. Because, <laughs> no, not really. How many of you know our problem's not our problem? Because two people with the same situation, one responds with incredible faith, incredible joy. Their, their, their external peace may be, may be shaken for a bit, but they have this internal peace that just guides them right through. Do you know why? Because their internal battles are settled. Their internal, they have an internal victory. So when the external, external circumstances come, by the way, the external battle, we don't have any control over it. It comes, it's unpredictable. It could be relational. It could be physical. It could be uh, joblessness. It could be any number of things that come our way. But when they come our way, we have this inner reserve that, uh, because the inner battle in us has been won. And so... People like that who have the inner battle, when the external battles and temptations come, they flourish. And their life is marked with confidence and joy and holiness. And we look at them and say, if only I had what they had. You do. We have what they have. First Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. 
Say that word everything with me. Everything. Everything we need for life. Everything we need for life. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. Through these, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature now that you have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So again, the external battles are more obvious. They're they're the temptations, the trials, the tribulations that come our way. But unfortunately, sometimes we're trying to fight the external battles, but we're losing them because our internal battles haven't been resolved. And regeneration and submission and repentance and following the leading of the Holy Spirit is how we win the internal battles. It's not something we can do. It's just simply who do we submit to and the process of the Holy Spirit changing us. There is victory in Jesus' name. There is power in Jesus' name. We will know the truth, and the devil will not be able to keep you trapped in a lie anymore. Sin has no power over you. I say that again. Sin has no power over you. No temptation has overtaken you that God has not already provided a way out for us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so, as we prepare for communion and the worship team comes this morning, I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you today that sin is an unnatural state. Oh, God, of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire so that sin becomes more and more foreign and strange to me than something that actually has the power and ability to entice me. Many years ago, when I was brand new in the ministry, I may still have been in Bible college, someone stood up at Brayside Youth Camp, made this statement, God, let the things that please you, please me, and let the things that break your heart break my heart. And more and more, I am realizing that God wants to bring the people of God back to this. Let the things that Jesus Christ actually had to hang on the cross and die to either uh, uh, die to on our behalf or die to make available to us. May our lives line up with that truth this morning. And so this week as you meditate and pray, maybe even this morning, if there's areas of defeat in your life, I believe you're in a turnaround season. I declare to you today that in a very short time, I wrote this down. This isn't in my notes. I wrote it this morning as I was in prayer. I declare today that in a very short time, you're going to be able to look back and you will look more like Jesus did in that area than the brokenness and defeat that you're experiencing now. I believe that. I believe that Jesus died to sin, so sin is dead to you. He did it all. I honestly believe there's patterns in some of your lives. Patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, patterns of sin, patterns of habit, patterns of defeat that are in your life right now. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the Holy Spirit takes the truth this morning and tells you that you've died to sin. It's not your natural state. And that victory is found in yielding to the Holy Spirit. And I just want to give you a word of caution. I talk to people on a fairly regular basis and they make statements like, I know I'm not where I should be. You know what my response to that is? Are you, where, are, are you in the place where God wants you to be? That's all that matters. The way we gain victory is by letting the Holy Spirit define the battleground within us. We could be saying, God, I want to, I just need to deal with these three things in my life right now. Why do you keep bringing me back to this one thing over here? Because the Holy Spirit has a strategy for your life, the strategy of victory for your life. 
So follow his leading. Amen. Father, this morning as we go to a time of worship and as we go to a time of prayer and as we look at this table, Lord, we do this to remember what you did. But Lord, may we be reminded this morning that this table represents the fact that you died to sin, but not your own sin. You died to my sin. You died to John's sin. You died to Carol's sin. You died to Laura's sin. You died to every person in this room who would put their faith and trust in your sacrifice, Jesus. And so we are new creations this morning, and we celebrate that with joy. We celebrate the fact that sin is no longer part of our DNA, but Lord Jesus, we've been set free from its power. We've been set free from the grip of sin. We're new creations in you. And Lord, I just want to break off every person right now who is struggling, saying, I've got such an ungodly, unchristlike area in my life. I want to thank you. And I declare by the word of God and the spirit of God that by this time next week, you're going to look more like Jesus than you, than you uh, look like yourself this morning, because he is going to exponentially set you free and regenerate you in that area this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're going to go to communion. If you're visiting with us. Uh... Thank you so much for listening to our message. We hope that it blessed and encouraged you. If you'd like to know more about Parkway Church, you can visit our visit tab at parkway-church.com. And if you like what you hear, we would love to come have you join us on a Sunday morning here in Corona at 10 a.m.
Altars are open. Some of you need to come. Let's just take a few minutes and pray and worship.